Hello everyone, uh, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to this next new chapter of Trailblazers in our beautiful hub at Hartford. Today I have a very distinguished guest, Bob Lord, Senior Vice President, Cognitive Applications at IBM. Uh, Bob actually runs Cognitive Applications, applying AI to the IBM landscape. Uh, he additionally looks at the IBM Developer Advocacy Program and he was the first uh, chief digital officer in 2016 when uh, the IBM chair announced him as um, the, the digital officer of the firm. Uh, prior to uh, IBM, uh, Bob was the president at AOL and uh, the CEO at Razor Fish and is an MBA from the Harvard University. Thank you, Bob, for coming over to the Hartford Hub and uh, thanks for launching the program uh, here for developer advocacy. Great, thanks for having me, Ravi. It's really exciting to be here. Absolutely. So, Bob, you know, let me tee up the first question. Uh, the first one, um, the very exciting news about the 53 uh, qubit quantum computer which uh, IBM has launched uh, or getting launched in October. Yes. I think this is the largest one uh, of, uh, yes. of all the quantum computers yes. you've done since 2016. Yes. Uh, I know that Google has one with 72, but uh, that's not open for it's a lab thing, it's not open for users. Yeah. This is going to be on the cloud. What does this do to quantum computing? Yeah, well look, I think, uh, I think the theory around quantum computing is that we will start solving problems that we have not been able to solve before. Um, and actually, I don't think it's a qubit race. I actually think it's a race about how effectively you can use the computing power itself. Uh, so I think qubits is sort of a, a measure that's somewhat irrelevant. In, in, the, in the race of how do you effectively actually figure out how to develop on this, right? So we have partnerships with going on with like ExxonMobil, yeah. right? And we're trying to figure out at a, at a level, how does actually energy get made at a molecular level? And only through quantum computing will we, will we be able to figure that out. Once we figure that out, then we'll be able to figure out how we can make energy more effectively than we, can, than we do today. So there are some really, really, I think, interesting problems um, we've opened up our platform, as you know, uh, to the development community um, and some colleges like UNC uh, where they're able to access the quantum computing power to really help us figure out how to get, how to harness that power and how do we actually develop on it. So we're pretty excited about it. Look, it's going to evolve. It's going to continue to evolve. But I do believe um, that we will fundamentally change the way uh, people think about compute, computing and how computing power exists. And do you think we're pretty close to that inflection point where this would be commercialized at some, you know, quantum computing has been restricted to labs for, yeah. for all, all its uh, hype. Well, when I talk to our friends at research, my friends at research, right, I think we still are on a journey uh, to get there. Um, I think it's a matter of um, the more developers we get on the platform, the more we get corporate sponsorship <coughs> on the platform, and the more we get very narrow around what the problem is we're trying to solve, the more likely we'll have some breakthroughs. But, but we're not there yet. We're not yeah. there yet as we go But forward. a lot of research, you know, 200 plus research papers, I'm, I'm told a ton of work happening, though it's lab grade, but a ton of work happening. Yeah. The next uh, question I wanted to ask you about is uh, the big news on Red Hat, right? Yeah. It's been probably the single biggest, um, in spite of the size of IBM, it's, it's one of the largest uh, acquisitions which uh, IBM has done and actually the largest in the tech world. Right. Uh, you've pivoted a lot of uh, 
your future on the Red Hat ecosystem. Tell us a little bit about where you go forward from here. It is, I think, one of the, it is the largest uh, software acquisition uh, in the history uh, of IBM and not only sort of the software industry. I do believe it is one of the fundamental pivot points uh, around the direction of the software industry. Um, Red Hat has done a phenomenal job uh, about advocating for open source, which as you know, IBM's always been a very big supporter okay. of open source. So philosophically, this idea around rallying around Linux and sort of the open source community, the idea that open source spurs innovation. And I believe and I know our enterprise clients are coming to us wanting to support this open source world and figuring out how to do that. Red Hat has come up with a really interesting model, whether you think about Linux and RHEL or you think about containers and Red Hat OpenShift, a model where enterprises can lean in harder on open source and feel protected about what the investment is they're putting in place. Um, so that was really the premise of why. There is an infrastructure battle out there, right, between IBM and its competitors. We believe in a hybrid cloud world. We don't believe that it's going to be a public cloud world only. Hybrid cloud is essential to enterprises, and we know only 20% of our clients' workloads have actually moved to the cloud. Yeah. There's 80% of those enterprise mission-critical workloads that need to move. Hybrid cloud is, we believe, the answer to be able to do that, where you have some hosted on public and you have some hosted on yeah. private, and then there's a mix. So if we fundamentally believe in hybrid cloud, just follow my logic for a second, we absolutely believe container management and containers and Kubernetes is the alternative that will make that happen. So when you take an application and you break it into its microservices, container management is absolutely the way that we need to go there. We then fundamentally believe that Red Hat OpenShift is the best container management platform that's out there right now in order to manage that. And then therefore, IBM Public Cloud is going to be is engineered to actually manage that, that Red Hat OpenShift container world the best. We also recognize that a lot of our clients are on five, six different clouds, right? So we're not going to fool ourselves to say you've got to move everything over to the IBM cloud. But we're going to need to, through Red Hat OpenShift, manage the orchestration of multi-cloud management across yep. this hybrid cloud world. So at the core of it, when you, when, you, when you know that we are fundamentally our belief around hybrid cloud, we know that there's going to be a multi-cloud world. Red Hat OpenShift helps to facilitate that infrastructure layer at its core. And that's, that was really the driving force for why uh, we did the acquisition that we did. At IBM now, when I own this, I own our supply chain product, Sterling, and I own yep. our asset management project uh, product called Maxima, which a lot of you are familiar with. Yep. Though both of those products, their infrastructure is going to be hosted on Red Hat OpenShift. Right? So we are going to develop no application at IBM unless it's on as a basis of Red Hat OpenShift and Linux and open source. And that's a really, really important aspect of a direction of IBM's taking around infrastructure. That was uh, really spot on. In fact, hi hybrid cloud, every customer I meet, meet with have kind of reconciled to the fact that hybrid cloud is the future. Yes. Uh, it's not going to be a, a, a solo drive on, on a, in a particular cloud environment, especially public cloud. I think it's going to be a combination of the Correct. two. Um, I saw a recent announcement on cloud packs, yep. uh, which is about uh, the container management you know, uh, piece which you speak, spoke about. It's yep. about taking all your applications cloud native and actually moving them on OpenShift. Correct. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so when we think about Red Hat OpenShift, right, it's not only 
the direction here is get that infrastructure layer in place so that you can manage multiple across multiple clouds, you can manage the data. What we've announced with IBM Cloud Packs, let's, let's take one of them, there's five of them. One of them is around data and, and AI. What the IBM Data and AI Cloud Pack allows you to do is to plug into Red Hat OpenShift because the foundational level, the infrastructure layer is in Red Hat OpenShift. So if you have a data strategy, you have an AI strategy, you're able to share that data and you're able to share those machine learning models through the Red Hat OpenShift infrastructure across clouds and across sort of languages. So it does allow you to do it in a secure and a rapid, uh, in a rapid, in a rapid way, uh, in a rapid to, way to, uh, our, and our to integration And our integration uh, cloud pack will allow you to take a WebSphere application, mm -hmm. modernize that WebSphere application into microservices, containerize it on the Red Hat OpenShift, run it, run it, build it once, and then deploy it anywhere that you need to on the cloud infrastructure going forward. And I know the team's going to go through a lot of that training. But this idea that the Red Hat OpenShift is really that horizontal layer that's being seeded in our enterprises. Because think about it, Robbie. I mean, a lot of our clients haven't gone to public cloud because they're afraid to move their mission-critical applications right. Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So, and, and a lot of our competitors are talking about hybrid cloud, but it's only their stack. Yeah. They're only talking about their public cloud or they're only talking about their private cloud. Right, what we're talking about when we talk about hybrid cloud is not only allowing you to leverage the power of the public cloud and also leverage the power of what you need to do in a private cloud, but to go across multi-clouds of where it may exist so that you and can actually you, get the data. And would you sure. also orchestrate across the clouds? Uh, yes, and that's, that's part of the cloud pack is the multi-cloud orchestration. Um, because as you, as you know, as developers, the containers Managing all those containers can get pretty complex very, very quickly. And you announced five of them now. Yes. And uh, how many more on the way? You know, I, I <laughs> so we have five in process. Um, when I look at my portfolio, I could anticipate that there would be a relaunch of my supply chain products as cloud packs or the Maximo uh, portfolio being announced as cloud packs, just to keep on that theme. Um, but security will probably be the next area that we attack specifically around cloud packs, because that has to be integral to the container management. So how do you actually build security into the container itself? And how do you know that there is a, a threat within that container itself? Um, and leveraging Ansible and some of the Red Hat tools within those container management. So it is a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a platform for all of us to rally around at IBM to make your jobs a lot easier when you're actually taking these big monolithic applications and modernizing them for your clients, which is, a, there's a lot of work there. You know, I mean, a lot of these large airlines, right, they have their big, big booking systems and they have their big flight operation systems. A lot of them don't want to touch those applications, but in the long run, they're going to have to start to at least get them down into micro, macro-services, right, and then get them into microservices and containers fundamentally is the way that we believe it needs to go. Bob, you know, switching gear, um, you know, you, <laughs> You've uh, done a, quite a bit of digital transformation yeah. uh, in your previous stint and as a part of the IBM uh, Chief Digital Officer role. Uh, one of the things I see about cloud migration work with all our customers is um, the, the transformation needed on those workloads yeah. is sometimes missing from the plot. Mm -hmm. uh, they do a lift and shift yeah. and the kind of uh, uh, don't think enough about the transformation and the opportunity to transform that workload. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about how, how clients should approach this in context to digital transformation, especially that's an opportunity for you to create microservices. Yeah. It's an opportunity to modernize the landscape 
as much as as it is needed. Uh, while you use that, uh, the, while the journey of migration is uh, is important, the bigger virtue is to do the transformation around it. Yeah. So you know, I'm very, actually really excited about the practice area that we're talking about about you know app modernization together, what we can do together, because I do think it was really simple, right? In the world of um, I'm going to move everything to public cloud because there's a cost advantage to it. The first place everyone went was their marketing sites, okay. and they put them up in public cloud. So that was sort of the same thing happens when you start talking about big monolithic applications. What should I do first? Well, lift and shift, yeah. right? Let's just lift it up and let's shift it over here and let's host it somewhere else. And it but was that, a capex to opex play. Yeah, that, that doesn't really yeah. get you the any value. real savings. It doesn't get you. When the system goes down, you're still in the same trouble you were before. And actually, maybe you're in more trouble because you're not actually sure where it's hosted or where it's actually being protected, right? And there's probably maybe more cyber threat because you've actually lifted and shifted it, right? So counter to, and that's why I think Kubernetes is such a great technology, because it allows us to think through this application and at a fundamental level, just sort of think about how I need to break up that application even at a macro services level, because you would never think about that if you were just lifting and shifting, right? Which is, we went through that chapter in the last yeah. two years. So as you start to do, you learn about Kubernetes, and as you start to understand container management, you start thinking about the application very differently. You start thinking about how I can actually carve it up into call it macro services, and then take those macro services and then get it down to the microservices that can be containerized. So it's, it's a much more digestible yeah. for a client and it's less risky for a yep. client um, than I would suggest to you the lift and shift strategy that was going on a lot of time. Because a lot of the times the lift and shift strategy was a cost savings yep. event. It was primarily moving a fixed cost to a variable cost. Yes, yes. And it wasn't as much about transforming the workload underneath. That's that. right. Yeah. And when we, you know, we work with some, <clears throat> some large airlines and, and you know, when they're redoing their, they have to rebook when flights get canceled, of course. You know, when they then have taken that process apart, they can sort of migrate into the new microservice world by taking pieces of it. So it's only the front end of the booking, not the back end of the booking. You know, you can upgrade your seat. You can, so you can sort of like kind of tiptoe into it. And then ultimately the whole big monolithic application is in this new container management system. So you can sort of migrate over it. And I think you guys will talk a lot about that today. Awesome. You know, uh, let me tee up one last question for mm -hmm. you before we wind up uh, this session. Uh, this is your favorite topic, uh, developer advocacy. Yes, yes. And um, you've been talking about it. You completely transformed the program in the last two years. Yeah. I heard about the 2016 um, uh, you know, from 2016, I'm told it's at almost 300% increase in. Yeah, no, it's been it's been fantastic. Yeah, and in and I'm told last year the call for code program which you have launched for societal impact, uh, using the developer community as um, as a catalyst to do that. Um, what's what's the goal of uh, this program, and where do you see this going from here? You know, it's really interesting when I came into IBM because um, you know as as a, the CEO of Razorfish, I was a consumer of IBM services and products, and one of the things I learned from IBM when I was a CEO was they would come in and train my technologists at Razorfish, um, and those technologists that would go into my clients would actually sell the IBM products. This was, you know, IBM WebSphere Commerce, like you know, it was years and years ago. So I'm dating myself, but this idea that I had 
IBM had evangelists within a company called Razorfish. And we would go out and we would actually sell. So what, what I was surprised about was given how modern sort of access had gotten to technology, IBM hadn't necessarily made its code accessible. So this idea, the first thing I needed to do, when we know that you know, of the 24 million developers in the world, they're influencing 95% of IT buying decisions now. Yes, the CIO has the ultimate check, right? But at the fundamental level, what cloud to use, what AI tool to use, what blockchain version to use, the, the developer is the one that's really making yeah. that and, decision. And, and buying right? has become very democratized. Right, very, very democratized to the bottom of the pyramid as well as functional, functional uh, departments of firms yes. are buying them without the CIO in the loop. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, so for me, it was all about how do I get developers to have access to our code in a minute. Um, and that was our mission in the first year, was I digitized every asset that we had. We took apart Watson down to its core a APIs, and now you can basically, I can get online, and I can actually develop a Watson chatbot in a minute, right? I've now tasted, I've understood what Watson has to offer, right? And now I can scale it into the enterprise, and I can scale it into my application. So that was chapter one of the digitization of the asset. But then, Ravi, I needed everyone to know. I needed the world to know that you now IBM was accessible because a lot of a lot of the reputation IBM had was I couldn't get access to IBM based on the history of what it was about. So then we launched something. It's a five-year uh, call for code program. Um, it's probably one of the most professionally rewarding things I've ever done in the world uh, in my career. Um, and what we did was we basically unleashed the code on social good. And natural disasters is probably one of the most fundamentally biggest challenges we have around the world. We're never going to prevent the disaster from happening, but we sure the heck can do a lot more than filling up sandbags, right? And with technology, we can actually help people and help first responders in ways that they've never even realized to do that. And as we started to go through that journey, you realize that the Red Cross, the United Nations, the Clinton Foundation, there were a lot of siloed initiatives going on. And through our effort, we've been connecting all of those things together around solutions, technology solutions that enable people to come together so that after disaster happens, you know who needs water, you know who needs emergency care, and the first responders can actually sort, sort, sort through that. So we've had solutions um, come forward around predicting tsunamis. Um, we've had solutions come forward about hot, putting up a, an IoT hotspot hot right after a disaster so there's some communication going on. We've partnered with AT&T FirstNet to actually get our solutions in place. And we have had a tremendous response. Um, and what, what the teams are using are those digital assets that we've put up online to actually activate into their solutions. So we're in year two of it. We're about to announce the winner October 11th. Um, and we're down to the five, uh, five competing priorities. But we had about 5,000 submissions this year. We hit over 156 countries. Um, it has been a phenomenal sort of um, success from the standpoint of taking the great IBM technology that we used in banking, that we've used in governments, that we use in the retail, unleashing it and allowing it to be used for social good like something for, with like natural disasters. And I really do appreciate uh, Infosys leaning in uh, with us in Call for Code, especially the Indian, te and the Indian team who's leaned in in the competition. In fact, uh, uh, you know, you were telling me uh, before we started talking about it, 
that uh, Nigeria was number two. That yeah. was very fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, well, and, and it just speaks to this idea that if you have a, if you have a great self-service portal, I think someone said it before, do it yourself. If you have a great self-service portal, you can light up a country like Nigeria. Right? You don't need people on the ground to do it. We did virtual uh, hackathons you know, through Slack. You can just raise aspirations. Just, just really get after it. Yeah. And, and um, it, the solutions that have come through have been, have been sort of profound and um, uh, sort of mind-blowing because they're not solutions that um, we would have ever predicted. So for example, somebody came up with an idea about after an earthquake um, in Nigeria, you don't know whether or not you can go back into the building. So they actually used Watson AI to actually use a drone to scan the building to see whether it should be retrofitted or whether the building should be knocked down. Class, fast forward to the disaster at Notre Dame, right? And what happened with Notre Dame? We use that same technology, we use that same application to help that team figure out what are the infrastructure problems that are actually happening in Notre Dame when we did a hackathon there. So the technology ends up being extensible. And this idea that we, po we put it into the open source world so that it can be shared across any of these sort of natural disasters or, or you know, sort of big events that happen is really part of the whole program and part of the thing I'm most proud of. This is so exciting. And yeah. It looks like you're so passionate about this. No, and I love it. And I, I, you know, it's just, uh, you know, when you have uh, eminent judges like, uh, you know, um, Jim from the Lennox Foundation, uh, President Clinton, I mean, we've got, we've got people that are reviewing these applicants um, to make decisions. It really just rallies the company, it rallies you, it, and you know ultimately that um, you're helping to save lives through this, through this initiative. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much for this conversation today. Thank yeah. you again for Great. coming to the Hartford Hub. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, great seeing you.